0: If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice. It's exhausting. It's expensive. At times it feels thankless. But, eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast. The podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. In today's podcast, we continue our coverage of mental health diagnoses with a discussion of depression.
1: So, this kind Dan, of yeah, kind of figures out but, our trifecta of Yeah. ADHD and and anxiety and depression. So it's kind of our trifecta. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So dad, what is depression?
1: So kind of like we talked about with anxiety, this is sadness that rises to the level of depression as these thoughts and feelings and experiences become incapacitating or debilitating. And really the, the diagnosis of depression has been constant over time. With sad mood, loss of interest or motivation in doing things, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, and problems making decisions, there are some things like, um, like a decrease or increase of more than five percent of body weight would be some things you can see sometimes in your kids. Definitely suicidal thoughts, and then sleep issues with trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. With the, of course, onset of subsequent fatigue.
0: Does depression also exist on a spectrum like anxiety?
1: Definitely that the more severe the symptoms of course, people are coming in earlier if the problems are worse. And so we, we see kids coming in at younger ages if things are more severe.
0: And does depression look different at different times of life?
1: Yeah, and the younger kids, we see a lot more irritability. They're just angry. So they're less likely to be sad as younger kids but they are definitely a lot more angry.
0: And what problems can look like depression?
1: So anytime you have some kind of grief or bereavement from loss, I think that can look like depression for some period of time. So people going through recent life stressors, you know, challenges at school, um, you know, relationships, stuff like that can look like some sadness, but may not be depression. There are some Physical things like anemia can look like fatigue, thyroid issues, vitamin, C, vitamin D deficiency, which is super common here in Utah, just because you know it's you know it's, it's so little outdoor activity in the winter. Then any chronic illness can look like depression.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just a refresher: anemia is an iron deficiency.
1: Yes, yeah, so um, low low on iron and causes low red blood cells, and so you can't deliver oxygen, so more fatigue.
0: Do other mental health problems happen along with depression?
1: I think the most prevalent is anxiety. So that runs in common a lot because there can be a, a common physical issue behind it with low serotonin. And then ADHD, a lot of times because people are, are struggling in school, they get they get down on themselves. So it's kind of a, a vicious cycle where anxiety, ADHD, depression can contribute to one another.
0: Mm-hmm. As an aside, is there... A period of time where it's now sustained the sadness is sustained enough that it becomes depression or is it just you kind of see this onset of symptoms after a certain period of time
1: yeah and i think really it's that intrusive nature of it where it makes it debilitating where you're so sad that you can't function so Mm -hmm. there's definitely bereavement where you're just mourning someone's loss and so you're sad they're gone they're missing those kind of things Mm -hmm. but when that carries over into your ability to function and get out of bed in the morning, those kind of things, then um, that's when it rises to level of depression. So it just it's just that incapacitation, you know, it's of any duration. Start thinking about that.
0: Great. How much is nurture versus nature with depression?
1: Huge family history. Main contributor to depression is um, the genetics involved. There are some environmental factors like early life trauma, um, even just experience with family depression. So you kind of have that exhibited a lot and, and modeled for you. Poverty is there, but L- the loss and bereavement we talked about, uh, the, the kids without, without resilience and grit, they don't really have any ability to overcome hard things, um, can lead to more depression for sure.
0: What is the evaluation process for diagnosing depression?
1: So we start screening these kids like we do with anxiety, starting at age 11, just because you want to ask people, how are you doing? And open the door to letting them share concerns that may not be evident just from the outside looking in. So we we try to ask. And so that's, that's the main process is us asking how they're doing now. Of course, some parents bring their kids in with their primary concern being depression. And then so we'll go through that same kind of screening set of tools for them as well.
0: What outside help do you bring in for diagnosing depression?
1: So our screening tools are fairly superficial. They're not a deep dive into all of the symptoms. So for the most comprehensive evaluation, I always recommend being evaluated by a neuropsychologist just to make sure we're working on the right diagnosis where they're the most thorough, comprehensive evaluation of mental health, brain function. Then we'll also bring in psychiatrists for help with prescribing if... I think more help is needed or parents feel like they're not making the progress they want to with my help with prescribing. And then also with more complicated things like bipolar disorders, mood disorders, we're bringing specialists to to help manage things that are um, a a bit above my, um, my core competence. So.
0: Yeah. What about suicide thoughts? How do we manage those?
1: You know suicide is something that i think is a lot more out in the open now a lot more transparent and we're a lot more comfortable talking about it knowing that talking about suicide does not increase the rate of suicide of suicide thoughts of suicide attempts and so but with suicide nobody wants to die they just want to stop hurting and stop feeling that way and they don't see any other way to stop feeling like that except for not being around and so they have this hopelessness where they feel there isn't a way to get better or stop feeling that way so so really, these are problems that always do better in the sunshine. So talking about suicide shines light on the problem to help provide more illumination and kind of more hope for help.
0: Yeah, just this morning I overheard a conversation between a mom and her child about um, about when she had to call nine one one and kind of a crisis situation. And her child's you know four and an eight year old and. and he's um, like, "What is suicide?" And she's like, "Well, it's when someone's so sad that they, you know, want to end. And so just really it was it was really sweet to have this topic brought at such a young age where it's like very open and mm-hmm. um, aware so that it's not taboo and um, you can kind of like maintain that 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 sunshine, like you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think that any problem that people feel like they're having to manage in the dark, and on their own is what is like the only problem. I think that anything yeah. that we can bring out in the sunshine, lets you know, parents and children work together, or get help. And so, um, mm-hmm. the only problem with any of these problems is just dealing with them alone. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, if there is a crisis and a parent's afraid for their child's safety, how do they get help right now?
1: We definitely still utilize the ERs where. If there's a situation where a parent cannot monitor a child safely 24-7, which is impossible, and they're just worried about them being safe, and then they can get them over to the ER where they can meet with a crisis counselor and help figure out disposition. And sometimes that means in the hospital for two or three days for inpatient care or getting some some resources very quickly to help with the situation. But helping, helping get an expert second opinion on whether or not they feel like this child is an imminent threat to themselves and hurting themselves. Um, you know, is, is you don't have to do this alone as a parent either You can get help anytime 24 seven. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. What are the non-medication treatment options for depression?
1: So the gold standard really is counseling and that should be first on everybody's list. And so what counseling does is provide CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy which is the the exercise of giving um, some tools to a patient and helping them work on those, you know, working with that, practicing and then going back for more tools. And so, but counseling should always be, be part of the, the equation.
0: Yeah, you kind of answer this like, should everyone use counseling?
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody benefits, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, gives those tools to help manage the intrusive thoughts and the experiences they're going through. It's safe, there's no medication involved. And it's really just something that will be able to give that child tools to use the rest of her life, not just for the, the short term, but forever.
0: Absolutely. So how does a parent choose a good counselor for their child?
1: So there are the four things we've talked about before with anxiety. And I mentioned the right insurance, the right age, the right problem, and the right fit. So you see, number one, who is covered by your insurance, make sure the counselor works primarily with this patient's age group and that they work on the concern that they have and everybody helps with depression and anxiety. But then fourth, and I think in some ways the most important is that good fit that they can have the same hobbies or interests so they can have something in common to talk about so that there's a best chance for a good therapeutic relationship. And I had that today actually with one of my my patients where they just had you know, just found the profile, this counselor, this is really excited to be able to meet them and work with them. And I'm really optimistic that would be a good therapeutic relationship for that patient today.
0: That's great. Yeah. Anything to help let that be a great resource and help it be more comfortable, I
1: think is awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that they all have good tools to provide for the patients, but they may not be able to communicate them well because they don't have enough in common.
0: Totally. Yeah. Are there complementary therapy options?
1: So, some options you can do, especially in winter, is some light box therapy or go to Hawaii. And I, I am always happy to prescribe a, uh, a prescription for, for going to Hawaii for the family. And so, <laughs> but like you mentioned earlier, vitamin D is huge in Utah because almost everybody is low by the end of winter. If we ever do blood testing for fatigue, almost everybody's low on vitamin D. And so, and, and one thing I will say is I don't, you know, I'm not the expert in every type of Complementary therapy and other resources. So I'm always happy to discuss anything some somebody's considering. I don't want them to feel like they'll be judged for using some alternative methods and things that are kind of out there. I'm, I'm really happy to discuss them and learn about them, You know, see how they fit other therapies. But I don't want parents to be afraid. I think that what the data shows is that almost all of our, our patients' parents are using some kind of, of other therapies, and they may, might be afraid to talk about them with us, you know, so they might be judged. But I just want them to know that we can talk about anything that they might be trying and considering.
0: Great. What about the basics like sleep and exercise?
1: You know, definitely, you know, and this is a a great example of trying to look at cause and effect, you know, is one contributing to the other is lack of sleep and those things um, adding to mental health or vice versa, because we definitely, definitely look at sleep problems as part of depression. So we talk about sleep hygiene, probably the most important modifiable factor where all elements of brain function have a lower threshold for problems, from seizures to migraines to mental health, when someone gets inadequate sleep, exercise, hydration, and good nutrition are always just you know things you can never say enough about. So,
0: what about any good books or apps that are available?
1: Yeah, I've, i found recently there's a, a bundle of apps called under STEM four STEM four apps, and we'll put them on our on our podcast information page. But there's the Move Mood to help manage low mood and depression. One called Calm Harm for tracking and resisting self-harm. Worth Warrior for self-worth and eating issues. And then Calm Fear to help manage anxiety. And one of the most important apps is the Safe Utah app, which anybody in a Utah school can access. Um, are some really good apps. And then a couple a few books that utilize some of the counseling therapy principles I mentioned before. Um, First is happiness trap, uh, one called mind over mood. And then third is don't let your emotions ruin your life. And then um, a last one is called beyond the blues. So we'll put those titles down for people to be able to reference.
0: Yeah. What about new techniques like TMS, transcranial magnet stimulation and ketamine therapy?
1: Yeah, these are really kind of, uh, you know, the the new wave of, of things for adults, but they're not really approved for use in teens and children. So the TMS, the transcranial magnet stimulation, um, uses a, a magnetic field to align electrons in the brain. And they've had some good success with depression not responding well to medication. And then ketamine <clears throat> is this, you know, medication that helps cause this kind of dissociative effect in their brain and kind of like, you know, uh, just gives experiences that help out with the depression of kind of like, you know, restructuring how your brain deals with it. And so, but they're, they're, they're um, having great success with adults, but you know, they're not really there for, for little kids and teens yet. So we'll see how that turns out.
0: Okay. Who needs medication?
1: <clears throat> so medication um, is what really, I think for those that are at least in the moderate to severe range when we screen them for depression. And any whose function is severely impacted by their depression, so it's really um, kind of you know, impacting your life in, in a bad way. So, um, and just as a reminder, I almost always want to have you know counseling and medication together, better than just the medication by itself. And um, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more later. But the, the thing for me is that I'm really fine with either approach. That if somebody wants to have medication as a last resort totally fine, that's appropriate. If they view medication as an early early therapy, it's, it's helpful in their family, then we can work on it early. So it's, the parents help drive that conversation and what, what the timing is.
0: What are the medication options for treating depression?
1: I think everybody's kind of heard about the SSRIs. They know about Zoloft and Prozac and Nexapro, there's a lot of evidence for, for Prozac for working with kids. There's a lot of negative press about Utah being over-medicated in one of the most medicated States, um, you know, with Prozac and those kind of things, but they, they are very helpful. Um, like I mentioned, I'm happy to start early or start later. What we usually do is give kids about a six to 12 month trial on the medication and then look at taking them off the medication during a low stress time of the year to see, how much it's really helping them or not helping them. We always start with a low dose. There's always a saying in medicine about starting low and going slow, and then we'll slowly work up to the expected effective dose, which takes about four to six weeks to w- reach a reliable effectiveness. But I, I tell people that there are benefits that will happen right away, so don't be you know, worried that you won't see any help for a month or so. And then our, our practice is to do a couple different SSRIs before changing medication to a different class, but we're always open to choosing a medication based on what works in a family for other family members, what's effective for them.
0: What if a patient won't go to counseling, but will take medication? Will you still prescribe them?
1: Yeah, I think that's a tough one. Some people feel like, you know, it's a, you know, I think we have to do counseling first, but, but sometimes, and I think one of the hardest things of all is we talked about like the sunshine and getting help for people, but is, if a child doesn't want help, it's really difficult. And it's important to acknowledge that, that one of the hardest things is trying to help somebody who doesn't want help. So um, if a child does not want to go to counseling, does not want to talk um, sometimes the medication helps open the door to accepting counseling, helps them feel better and also do better in therapy. So I'll still help out with prescribing, even if um, counseling is not on the table for a while.
0: So many parents have heard about genetic testing for prescribing. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, the, the genetic testing provides some insight into understanding which medications are more likely to not work or also more likely to cause side effects. So it helps us get to a more successful medication about twice as quickly than if we just try and, and, and have somebody take it, see if it works because we'll know about how that should work for their body and it helps guide our decisions in prescribing. So it's just it gets us there faster.
0: What are some of the side effects of treating with medication?
1: There's some of the same ones we talked about with anxiety, but at the beginning you can have some stomach discomfort, some nausea, um, some have some dizziness or some of the things that just happen when taking these meds.
0: Did parents be afraid of side effects with long-term use?
1: No, we have such a huge body of good safety data. There's no adverse effects of long-term use of the medications. There's no addiction, no abuse potential. And so I think people shouldn't be afraid that even though we say, what about this developing mind and will it change how their brain processes things? And it absolutely does not. And we feel very comfortable with the fact that all the medicines are doing is using the body's own chemicals to do a better job. It's not doing anything independently, it's just helping the body to use its own chemicals better.
0: Parents may also have heard about a warning that antidepressants increase suicide thoughts.
1: Yeah, important to acknowledge that. Um, So way back in the day, there were nine studies that were reviewed and showed that about 4% of the patient in the medication group and 2% not on medications had an increase in suicidal thoughts. What was interesting though, is that the suicide ideation and suicide attempts and increased after this warning came out as I think less people were given antidepressants because they weren't prescribed out of the concern that they would cause more problems. So so the take home message is that not treating depression increases our suicide rate. So we, we want to recognize that that there's always some some parts of studies that have statistics and you know and say, you know, this control group versus the study group had you know different experiences, but we know without a doubt that We need to treat depression to help decrease the risk of suicide.
0: What are the consequences of not treating?
1: I think it's what you would assume. You know, it changes the trajectory in life for these people that, you know, the trajectory is not as good when you're leaving depression untreated. Um, I think it's always a bad alternative to not treat depression, even with counseling or medication. And and one thing that's kind of, you know, a, a challenge is that, a lot of these kids will, will self, end up self-medicating. They'll find alcohol, THC, marijuana, um, just in their experiences in life. Sometimes they figure, hey, this is really helping my depression. I'm not as worried about things. And so I'd rather have them treat it appropriately than treat it illicitly, for sure.
0: What should parents expect for follow-up once treatment is started?
1: Once we work together on choosing a medication, we'll go for about a month. Then I'll go ahead and repeat the, the screening questionnaires for depression and anxiety. Um, we'll talk about counseling to see how that's going to make sure that it's going well. If there's any challenges getting a counselor, I'm happy to help make phone calls and reach out. We'll work on the, that pharmacogenetic testing you mentioned earlier. But at the end of the day, if the medication's working well, then we'll continue and possibly increase the dose and then if it's not working well, or the side effects are problematic, then we'll change the class of medication. Um, I'll always have a safety contract discussion to talk with the parents and the child to make sure that they have a contract that they'll talk to one another about thoughts of self-harm. That, that if, Especially if a patient has a plan for how to suicide, that's when they have to commit to talking to their parents and, and kind of giving that sunshine back on the problem.
0: Any parting thoughts on treating depression?
1: I just you know want to put that plug out there that I am happy to help start the process of helping with mental health challenges with my patients. I I care about them. I'm available for them. Um, at the same time, looking to recommend some resources at a higher level for treatment, both for evaluation, um, prescribing. Um, I don't have any guile or any type of pride in this of saying that you know I want to be the one that makes sure you get better. Um, that my goal is that they get better, and whatever help we need, whether it's from me or somebody else, I'm happy to bring in those tools. And I really want to focus on the empowerment for the child, that they understand the why of taking the medication, so that they understand no one's perfect. To take the medication to be them best selves, their best selves, and um, helping them understand that metaphor I talk about almost every time of. The fact that wearing these kind of blue glasses, you you see everything blue and sad. We want to change those glasses out to to ones that have clear lenses and so that they'll end up taking the medication for themselves and not for others. And just kind of a last thing is that, you know, a lot of us as parents, um, especially if we're the parent that doesn't maybe have mental health in our side of the family, but it's in maybe a spouse's side of the family with the genetics, they don't know what that depression and anxiety feels like. And it's very helpful to understand all the factors that come into play, the physical, physiologic, psychological, spiritual, to, um, to work on all those elements um, to help the, the child to, to get better.
0: Great. Well, that is our conclusion. So thanks, Dad. We'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> thanks.
1: Great job, Em. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. KidDoc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcasts. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.